Hello, and welcome to Inside Scoop Live. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Today, I'm talking with Susan Brody, author of Kick Kennedy's Secret Diary, the story of a young woman's sexual awakening. Before we start, let's learn a little bit more about Susan. Susan Brody is the best-selling author of six books. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Ms. Magazine, New York Magazine, Jezebel, The Week, and The New Journal at Yale. The men's issue she created and edited for Ms. Magazine was the highest-selling edition in the magazine's history. She is a recipient of the Dick Goldenson Fund Award for investigative reporting and was a judge for the J. Anthony Lucas Prize at Columbia University. Alfred A. Knopf nominated her last book for the Pulitzer Prize. Her blogs are Writers Celebrate Writers and Manhattan Voyeur. For more information about Susan Brody and her books, visit susanbrody.com. And that's www.susanbraudy.com. Well, hi, Susan. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I've been looking forward to talking with you about your new book. So uh, to start, why don't you tell us what Kit Kennedy's Secret Diary is all about? Well, it's a book that I really enjoyed writing, and I even enjoy reading. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a story of President John Kennedy's younger sister and favorite person, uh, who was the embodiment of charm. She loved to um, make other people happy and laugh, and she was an icon for modern women. After many struggles with her family, she uh, became her own independent person, both sexually and intellectually, and in terms of religion as well. And she was just a really interesting person. Yeah, so what inspired you to write this story? Well, I did an article in Vanity Fair for someone called Susan Mary Alsop, who was very much uh, part of the social scene during World War II and after in Paris and London and here in the United States. And she was especially intrigued by Kit Kennedy because she said she saw a kind of doubt in her eyes that Susan Mary attributed to her questioning her faith because her beloved husband had been killed after they'd only been married for two weeks. He was uh, he went to war mm. against Germany, against Hitler, and he was killed. And she wondered how a just God could do such a thing. She thought it was so unfair, and she didn't understand it. So she was always asking questions. When she was sent to finishing school in Paris, they called her Mademoiselle Pourquoi because she was just very curious about the liturgy and the religion, you know, yeah. that she was learning. And her mother was appalled, Rose Kennedy, who was the mother of the president and the wife of Joseph Kennedy, who was the ambassador from this country to England. Uh, Rose Kennedy just really found her attitude and her forthrightness appalling. Yeah. Mother and daughters. What is it between mother and daughters and their right. relationships? <laughs> right. So, so you, um, sounds like you needed to find out more about her. I was just very intrigued. I wrote down what Susan Mary had written in a letter about Kick, and I was just really curious. So I began reading about her, and I saw that nobody who'd written about her had addressed this problem she faced, which was questioning her faith, questioning God, and she was kind of thrown out of the church, the Catholic Church, because she married an Anglican who was, the, he was the Duke of Devonshire to be, very important person in England, you know, like third to the royal family. Right. And once she married an Anglican, the church wouldn't let her um, take communion, and wow. she wept about this a lot. I mean, she thought this was really sad, but she began to wonder, you know, um, 
who has the right path to God. Right, right. She seems conflicted, like she's kind of ahead of her time in some ways, but then in her faith, she's very traditional still. But she began to question that at some point? Yeah, well, that's what Susan Mary felt, and I think it's true. She began to just question. She was very influenced by Pamela Harriman, Pamela Digby Churchill Harriman, who was, uh, some people say she was a courtesan, but she was very uh, sexually free, and she was very interested in powerful men. Her last husband was Avril Harriman, who was quite rich, and she became a great favorite in her later years of President Clinton. And Kick gave her money because Pamela didn't have much money. She sort of supported her. Uh And in return, Pamela took her to the dinner tables of Winston Churchill and other world shakers. Wow. So Kick became friends with Churchill and his wife. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So... It seems like the Kennedys will always be like America's royal family, so to speak. Yeah. Um, why do you think the world is still infatuated with the Kennedys? Well, Joseph Kennedy was very ruthless. He was kind of a little bit of a criminal. He made a fortune. He started out with no money, and then he became very rich. And he constructed a facade for his children of the Kennedy family, a royal American facade, which wasn't really true. Mm. But it was accepted by the press for a very long time. And they were good-looking. They were fabulously rich. They were very well-educated. And they were very ambitious. Yeah. And yet, like I said, well, we're still infatuated with them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Although many of us know that it was a facade that Joseph Kennedy created, that he was not a good husband. You know, there are a lot of uh, amoral things he did in general. He was very anti-Semitic and pro-Hitler for a long time. Mm. Uh, So he was less than perfect. And John Kennedy inherited his attitude toward women, which was sort of like they were disposable Kleenexes or something. And all this has come out in, in different ways about the Kennedys, but we still love them. Yeah, we cling to that that dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, one thing I'm curious about is uh, her nickname. How did Kick get that nickname? Well, I believe she got it because her father got such a kick out of her. Oh, okay. It's cute. It's he gave different. it to her. Yeah, and it, it stuck. There's a Kathleen Kennedy in the family now who's nicknamed Kick. Oh, really? Currently? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, nice. Now, I know you've authored a couple of nonfiction works, so why did you write Kit Kennedy's Secret Diary as a historical fiction piece? Well, because I wanted to really get inside her skin and really show who she was, uh, based on, at first, on the Susan Mary also intuition that she was, you know, less than happy and sort of frightened in a certain way after the death of her husband and, and during the war. When so many of her friends were killed, her English friends particularly, I just wanted to find out who she really was. And I kept reading and reading and reading. And none of the books about her really delved into the nonfiction books about her because there were no other fiction books. Mm -hmm. I wanted to really figure out who she was and what made her tick. And I thought the best way would be to really try to go behind what historians had already written and try to identify with her and write about her problems with her mom and with the religion and with her father. Yeah, and I guess you have a little more license when you're writing fiction, too. Yes, you have more leeway. You can imagine what something's like rather than uh, 
stick to actual facts, although I'm very grateful to the Kennedy Center and to all the historians who've written so many books about the Kennedys and about Churchill, because she figures in some of the uh, accounts of English people as well, because she expatriated to England to live her life more freely away from her mother. Ah, okay. You mentioned a little bit about all of the research that's been done. What kind of research did you do, and how long did you spend researching before you started to actually write your book? Well, I researched for about two years. I read everything. I really got into Churchill because he was a very good writer, and she was very good friends with him and his wife and his daughter-in-law, Pamela Digby Churchill Harriman. And I started reading books that mentioned her that were about him. And I read this great book by Lord Moran, who was um, Churchill's doctor, who accompanied him everywhere in his adult years. And I think that's probably why Churchill lived so long, because he had very strange habits. He would drink very watered-down scotch all day long, and then he would switch to champagne for dinner, and then he would drink brandy at night, and he would take two baths a day. And he did get pneumonia a lot, but he lived well into his 80s. And I think it was probably having this doctor around that gave him some, you know, longevity. I'm talking about making house calls, right? (laughs) Yeah, very good. Yeah, so I read all these books about him. And then I began reading memoirs of members of his inner circle. This guy, Brendan Behan, who uh, ordered all his papers burned at his death. I mean, that was in his will, but there were lots of biographies of him. And he was a fascinating, mysterious character who just showed up one day at Churchill's country estate, and within about four hours, they had decided they were going to be, you know, best friends forever, and he managed a lot of Churchill's affairs and had many important jobs in the government, and Kick dined with them many times. She had dinner with Churchill and his circle. She was often, she and Pamela were the only women. Clemmy, Churchill's wife, didn't really attend the dinners. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I find historical fiction fascinating because I like yeah, me too. I, I like getting the history lesson along with a little bit of added entertainment. Yeah, from childhood I've always liked historical fiction. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you, why did you decide to write your book in diary format? Well, my first book was written in diary format. It was uh, Between Marriage and Divorce, uh, A Woman's Diary it was called, and it, it sold very well. And I just feel that that format gives the writer license to delve into the feelings of the subject in a way that isn't necessarily linear or processed, but is very true. And the Kennedy family wrote letters a lot to each other, and uh, they would write group letters. And she had an official diary that she kept for the family. And that was very superficial. I proposed that she had a secret diary that she didn't let the family see because her father said to her once, don't ever write anything down that you don't want other people to read. Mm. So I proposed that she had kept a secret diary that she didn't tell them about uh, that was closer to what she really felt about things. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I prefer reading diary formatted books. I feel like I'm closer to the actual character. I think I personally just feel a deeper connection with the character with the story laid out that way. No, no, I think that's true because the person is writing their feelings. They're not composing it in the same way. They're not distancing themselves. Yeah, and it's not being censored, so to speak. Right. Now, you've had a long career as an author and a journalist. Uh, Can you tell us about an early experience where you learned that language had power? 
Well, I was thinking about this. The first experience I had was in the sixth grade, and we used to write what we used to call it compositions. I grew up in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and I wrote a composition about how I, to this day, don't like to speak in public at all, and it makes me really scared, and how I decided to direct something I had to say in public to the school principal. His name was Miss Michaels. <laughs> and uh, then about a week later, she, there was a loudspeaker system throughout the school so she could get on the loudspeaker and talk to every classroom. Mm-hmm. And a week later, she got on the um, loudspeaker system and she read my composition. And I was just stunned. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, I always have this feeling I'm, I, I wasn't sure I enjoyed it, but I think I did, you know? Yeah. And that was the beginning, I guess, of my feeling that, and I never thought I could be a writer. I thought it was beyond me, but I did very well in creative writing in college. Mm. So I sort of began to think maybe. Yeah. Well, and it's easier to write than to speak, for me anyway. Yeah, (laughs) for me, for me very much so. Yeah. So what do you love most about writing, about the process? Well, to me, it's just great fun. You know, I was just thinking about this, that it's sort of like you invent your own crossword puzzle and then you fill it in, sort of, you know. I mean, it's just so safe and reassuring to write. And I just really enjoy it. Time goes by really fast and I'm just totally wrapped up in, in what I'm doing. Yeah. Do you, um, like when you're writing a novel, or do you outline or do you kind of just let it all come out? Well, I do yeah. both. I, uh-huh. I let stuff come out. I write lots of notes to myself. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I write a beginning. And then I sort of dope out, you know, the uh, the general trajectory of the book. And then I, then I write it. But in the beginning, I just make lots of notes and... Uh, and Novelists take bits and pieces of life and things they've seen and rearrange them. So I kind of do that. You know, I start with thinking about the characters and characters I know who are like that. And I sort of borrow the traits of the people I know. Mm -hmm. Now, in this case, I didn't do it that way because I depended on history. Right. So what do you like to read? I love children's fiction, children's books, fiction Mm -hmm. and nonfiction. And I learned how to read when I was about two or three. And I used to... Oh, wow. Yeah, I was just very uh, into it. It was a really great escape. And I would memorize, turn the page. You know, I, I couldn't really... At first, I couldn't really read everything. But I knew that you turned the page after you said a certain thing. <laughs> yeah, I remember there was a book, Toby and Sue, about a dog and a cat. And then I would say, we and Sue, and turn the page. (laughs) I love that, yeah. But then later, I loved some books by men. I loved Philip Roth's uh, Goodbye Columbus, his novellas. And um, I read James Baldwin, who's coming back into his fashion now. Mm. I read him a lot, and I read Norman Mailer. But then I began to realize that I was much more keen on women writers. Mm -hmm. And I've read... Many, many of them. I read Hilma Wolitzer and Meg Wolitzer, her daughter, and Ann Tyler and Ann Patchett. These are all novelists. Yeah. I remember I really liked when I was a kid, I go back to that, I really liked Nancy Drew. I've written a couple mystery stories. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah. And I like 
to read humor. I think humorists have perfect pitch for language. So I, I enjoyed Nora Ephron's writing and Irma Bombeck, who I at first thought was going to be just very kind of, I don't know, middle brow and so on. Yeah. And she yeah. was, She's not at all. She makes me laugh out loud. I have all her <laughs> books. And I just devour a lot of the English books, English lady writers. They're very good. Recently, Alison Laurie, uh, who's an American novelist, listed some of her favorite books, so I quickly went out and uh, got them because I love Alison Laurie's work. Now, when you first started writing, were there any were there certain writers that inspired your own work? Well, I guess it was those people that I mentioned, Norman Mailer. It was mostly male writers. I read all of Margaret Mead, but she wasn't a novelist. She was um an observer of other people's societies and our society. I was very interested in her and was going to write a book about her, but I went to her class at Columbia and I audited it. And then I finally went up to her and started to speak to her, and I realized I was too shy to tell her I wanted to write a book about her. (laughs) So I didn't. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Now, Kit Kennedy's Secret Diary uh, just came out recently. Do you have any plans for another book in the future? Well, I'm finishing up a mystery thriller based on an actual murder in my building. Really? Yeah, the superintendent or the, you know, who showed apartments in my New York building was murdered gangland style uh, <gasps> with guns in his mouth. Oh my god. And yeah, and it was never solved even though the commissioner, the police commissioner, William Bratt moved into the building soon after, they never solved the murder and it came clear to me that my building was when I moved in and I've been here a while full of petty criminals. Oh, wow. <laughs> and a lot of them were friends of Donald Trump, Oh, believe it or not. Okay. <laughs> and Carter Page lived here. He's a more famous one, but members of the Gambino family. I mean, it's incredible. And I think it's because Donald Trump always wanted to own this building. He wanted to buy it, and he wanted to co-op it. And when you buy a building as a realtor, you want the people who move in to vote to co-op it. So he was very friendly with Roy Cohn, who was best friends with the landlady. Roy Cohn is Donald Trump's mentor, and he was disbarred. He was considered to be quite the, you know... Character. (laughs) Criminal character, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Who I actually knew him. I met him several times. So the building was full of cronies of Donald Trump, and a lot of them were uh, petty criminals, you know, Mm. people who imitate the Godfather-type criminals. Oh, okay. I don't know where Mario Puzo got his uh, notion of what a mafioso was, but... The current generation all imitate him. Yeah. So I've been writing this book about my building, but I fictionalized it. I'm almost done. Well, that sounds amazing, and I'll have to keep my eyes open for that one. So what is the best piece of advice you've ever received about writing? Well, in general, the best piece of advice is uh, don't write for money, I think. Write from love. And Churchill said this about the war thing. Never, 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 never give up. And focus, focus think about it, focus on it. And also specifically, you know, topic sentences for each paragraph, kick each paragraph with something interesting, kick each chapter with something interesting. You know, there are lots of specifics. Right. I taught writing at Brooklyn College, and it was very enjoyable to sort of codify, you know, and help the kids and everything. Right, right. I imagine it would be, yeah. So do you have any advice for aspiring authors uh, based on your own experience? Yes, don't give up. Never, 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 never give up and focus. And if you're writing fiction, try to base the characters on people you know or mm. bits and pieces of people you know. Oh, that's great advice. 
Well, Susan, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you sharing your work with us. Well, thank you very much for asking really interesting questions. To our listeners, thank you for joining me today on Inside Scoop Live for my interview with Susan Brody. For more information about Susan and her books, visit SusanBrody.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com.